beautiful absence of a Jane, so I will give this a go. Uh, So we are reading Ruth chapter 4, which you can find on the notice sheet, service sheet, and on page 269 in the Pew Bibles. That's page 269, Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elemnek. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the property of Anamalek, Kilian, and Mahon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamara bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. 
Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the farmer of Amilidab, Amilidab the father of Nation, Nathan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Thank you very much, Jay. All of us are grateful when somebody does something selflessly for us. It might be a small thing or a large thing. Even something as small as chairing a meeting or organising a rota or picking up a child or a grandchild from school. Um, Or something bigger like acting as an executor on a family member's estate. Uh, We are grateful when people do those things selflessly for us. And then we express gratitude in a variety of ways, maybe small ways by saying thank you or sending a short note by email or a letter, or in bigger ways by sending bunches of flowers or boxes of chocolates, uh, goodness knows what else, maybe doing something in return for them. But sometimes it's not just the work that's been done for us, but also the way in which the work has been done that makes us particularly grateful. Work that's done conscientiously, calmly, under pressure, thoroughly and carefully is work that merits particular thanks. Several years ago, I was a joint investor in a bit of property used for ministry purposes And at the moment, the trust that's holding that property is actually winding up. Now, I am very grateful at the moment for the major investor in that property who is managing all of the legalities and technicalities to do with winding this up and making sure that uh, everybody's interests are catered for, everyone receives the right uh, payout in the end. Uh, He's having to deal with innumerable emails to do with this and interactions with lawyers and accountants and what have you. Uh, But he's done it all with a very high standard of transparency and professionalism, even though he's a a lay investor. I'm very grateful to him for his selfless work in this rather thankless task. And that thankfulness is not just um, thankfulness on its own. It's also with a tinge of admiration as well, admiration for somebody who's willing to commit to doing that sort of thing, that sort of work, to such a high standard. And this is the sort of gratefulness that we're going to see in today's chapter um, of Ruth towards Boaz. Not simply grateful for what he did, but admiring and grateful for the way in which he did it. And that in itself will be a small picture of our attitude to our Redeemer, to the Lord Jesus. Not simply for what he did in redemption, but for the wonderful way in which he did it. We're in the final chapter of Ruth now, in our little mini-series of four, going through the four chapters. And the scenes that we have been through in Ruth have taken us from the border of Moab in chapter one to the fields of Bethlehem in chapter two, to the threshing floor of Boaz in chapter three. And now finally, in chapter four, uh, the major scene is at the town gate 
you can imagine the town gate of Bethlehem all those hundreds of years ago with people and animals going to and fro, mostly on foot, maybe some by cart. That's where we're going to be today. Ruth, the Moabite woman, the stranger in a strange land, has taken various steps of faith to get to this point in the narrative. She has left her homeland of Moab, come with her mother-in-law to a very uncertain future in Israel. She's gone out into the fields of this strange town, Bethlehem, where she's found herself to glean alone uh, amidst all of these uh, men who, goodness knows what they think of her. And she's even proposed marriage to a guardian redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, Boaz. And last week in chapter 3, we saw the warm acceptance of Boaz of that slightly audacious advance of Ruth towards him. But there was a fly in the ointment. There was a catch. He said, I will redeem you, but there's actually a redeemer nearer to you. A bit of catch up for those who might have missed uh, the last couple of weeks. Ruth was relying on the practice of Leverite marriage uh, in her proposal to Boaz. The idea, or the law rather, in Israel that if a woman's husband died, it should be his brother, her brother-in-law, who would take her on, who would marry her and continue the family line on behalf of his dead brother. Ruth had a problem in that respect, though, because her husband's brother had also died. Uh, both of them had died while living in the land of Moab. Thankfully, there was an expansiveness to this Leverite marriage practice, and more distant male relatives could be included as well. Boaz is one such more distant male relative, but he was sufficiently distant that there was a nearer relative, maybe a first cousin rather than a second cousin, who was nearer to Ruth in the family line. And the fly in the ointment of the proposal plan and acceptance is that there's unfortunately a nearer redeemer who has a first refusal on this Leverite marriage. So Ruth's grateful acceptance of that slightly audacious proposal in chapter 3 led into a little bit of anxiety about the other man. What might have seemed to her at the time like a bit of a technicality that Boaz was raising maybe grows in her mind the more she thinks about it. And the anxiety grows that there's this real possibility that her union she's been dreaming about, aspiring towards, with this wonderful, kind, generous, considerate man, Boaz, might be thwarted. Fortunately for her, Boaz was a very shrewd operator. He set up both the audience in this scene and the order and type of questions he put to them and to the other redeemer to ensure a favourable result. So the setting. We're at the town gate as we read in verse 1 of that reading. Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there. This is where business was done where people are. These days we do business, we see people places like the boardroom or the staff room at a school, uh, maybe on a Zoom meeting in days of COVID and post-COVID, uh, certainly on social media platforms and through the phone directory. But there were no such means in ancient Bethlehem. Business there was less immediate perhaps, but much more personal, interrelational. And the totally public place for doing business 
was the town gate. That's where everyone had to pass through who lived in the town, and everyone could be found. Everyone was going back and forth, and sure enough, goodness knows how long he had to sit there to wait for him, probably not too long, but eventually the guardian redeemer who Boaz had referred to, who's nearer to him, nearer to Ruth than him, passed by. The guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. But he doesn't just grab that man. He gets several witnesses as well to what's about to unfold in verse 2. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so as well. So he's not just setting up a private chat. He's going all the way he can to set up a very public meeting with witnesses. There's no room in this meeting for people backing out of what they've said, for misrepresentation of uh, what has transpired. Everyone's going to know exactly what passes between Boaz and this other redeemer. So he's being public about his transactions, and also he is methodical as we see him set out the situation in verses 3 and 4. He said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring up the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Maybe Ruth was listening into this conversation. Certainly, it's in a very public place. She had every right to be at the town gate as any other woman in the town did. And maybe she gets a little bit anxious at the reply as Boaz sets out the situation because the other guardian redeemer, the other man, he says, I will redeem it. Uh Uh-oh, perhaps thinks Ruth, what about me? But then, very cleverly, Boaz then threw in the issue of Ruth in verse 5. Then Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Well, that was rather less interesting to this guardian redeemer. Female dependents, extra mouths to feed in my household, a dilution of my own children's inheritance. No thank you, he says. Verse 6, at this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it for yourself. I cannot do it. Well, quite a change from I will to I cannot. Rather definitive. Endanger endanger my own estate. His worry is about his own children losing out to potential further children who are born to Ruth by him. Very different attitudes to Ruth than Boaz had towards her. Boaz didn't just see Ruth as an expensive extra mouth to feed and a person to maintain. He didn't see her simply as a line in an expense account, but rather as a worthy woman, one who's followed her mother-in-law out of kindness to this foreign land, who has shown courage and faithfulness in coming under the wings of the God of Israel. And so the marriage is safe. I'm sure Ruth was delighted at the news that this other man was backing out. But the chapter doesn't end there. It continues. And we get quite a substantial little chunk of essentially formalities 
um, sorting out what's going to happen. So we get this detail about the ancient practice of somebody making a deal, taking their sandal off and giving it to the person they made a deal with. And then sure enough, that's exactly what Boaz goes ahead and does. And then he appeals to all the witnesses there to confirm that what has just transpired has indeed transpired in verses 9 and 10. And then in verse 11, they give their confirmation. All the elders and the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. So that word confirmation is a long way of saying there is no going back on this. It certainly was public. This is set in stone what has happened, and we're confirming it is as you say. We then have some lovely blessings given by these people of Bethlehem, Bethlehemites, over both Boaz and Ruth in verses 11 and 12. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Blessings there over firstly Ruth and then Boaz. To Ruth that she be like Rachel and Leah, the two wives of Jacob. Together they bore the 12 sons who would found the 12 tribes of Israel. So they are essentially the ones who built up the family of Israel very literally. Uh, They built up his family by giving birth to it. And then they, in turn, were progenitors of the 12 tribes, giving birth to the entire nation. Extraordinary prayer, really, to pray over a foreigner. May this woman from Moab, from outside of Israel, may she be like the progenitrixes, joint progenitrixes, those who gave birth to our own nation. A wonderful prayer. And then three prayers of blessing over Boaz, May he have standing, may he be famous, and may his family be like Perez. Again, you might think at first an odd choice of blessing for this particular person. An odd choice in his case, because Perez was a son born, as we read in Genesis chapter 38, out of actually a very immoral situation, where Tamar acted as a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law into sleeping with her, Judah. But Perez was uh, one of the main progenitors of the tribe of Judah. And it's very likely that all, if not uh, most, if not all, of the Bethlehemites there were descendants of Perez, Perizzites. So there's a parallel there between the blessings over Boaz and over Ruth. The blessing over Ruth is that she would be like those who gave birth to the entire nation and over Boaz, like those who gave birth to the entire clan of Perez. In other words, that both of them would know fruitfulness and virtue. And sure enough, those prayers we see very quickly are answered. So we see in verse 13, Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The blessing was very evident immediately. We read of who exactly this son was. The son was called Obed. He gave birth to Jesse, and Jesse gave birth to David, as we see in verse 17. David, who any reader of this book would know, was King David. 
he who was the second king of Israel and gave birth to all subsequent kings from his line, including the king of kings, King Jesus. Jesus who came from the house and line of David, as the angel said. So the birth of Obed was an answer to many prayers there. Not simply the women's prayers uh, when they prayed over Naomi, but also Boaz's blessing in chapter 2 of the book. May the Lord repay you, he prayed over Ruth. And in chapter 3, may you be blessed when she proposed to him. And also the town's blessing as they reacted to Boaz's um, arrangements. May Ruth build up the house of Israel. And certainly she would, in many ways, build it up through giving birth to its line of kings. Ruth bore one who refounded Israel, just as her uh, distant namesakes, Rachel and Leah, gave birth to those who founded it in the first place. Ruth 4 is, interestingly, the only chapter in which Ruth herself doesn't actually speak. She speaks very little in the first three chapters, but she speaks not at all in this fourth chapter. So there's a bit of conjecture in us thinking she's even listening in to this meeting at the town gate. She's listening to all these arrangements being made for her and for her marriage, and it's entirely in others' hands. It's not in her hands whatsoever what happens. Well, in the same way, we don't bring anything to the table or to the discussions about our own redemption. As we look on at the events of Jesus' life, his incarnation, which we'll celebrate in a few weeks, his life and ministry, his crucifixion and resurrection, we are totally dependent on him, on what he does for our redemption. Those are all steps he has taken for us, publicly, carefully, but without us being involved. Just as Boaz took the necessary steps to redeem Ruth carefully, methodically, shrewdly, publicly, so did Jesus to redeem us. Born of man and of God, living a sinless life, foretelling his own purpose through his ministry to die for sins, being found guiltless at his trial, made a sacrifice before crowds of thousands and raised to new life in front of hundreds. How much we owe him for carefully taking those steps for our redemption, for all that he did for us, just as before him Boaz did so much for Ruth to redeem her. If he'd done some of those things tucked away in private, it would have been problematic. But he didn't do them in private. He did them in the open, in public, not hidden away in a cave or something like that. For all to see, he was born, conducted his ministry, put on trial, killed and raised. Publicly verifiable, as we find the gospel writers showing when it comes to it. The twist at the end of Ruth's own story comes in the form of her mother-in-law, Naomi, because the blessing that's given in verse 14 isn't actually a blessing to Ruth, but is a blessing to Naomi. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. You might remember from the start of this story that Naomi was very bitter at God. In fact, she called on the Bethlehemites when she returned from Moab to call her Mara rather than Naomi, 
as in to call her bitter. Uh, That's how much she was uh, in a state over the way in which she had been treated in life. She told Ruth to go home rather than come with her. She didn't go out gleaning with Ruth in the field. She was probably just sitting at home in a bit of a strop. And then she had this rather underhand plan to get Boaz for Ruth. But the birth of this grandson of Obed is a turning point for her. And the women of Bethlehem pray that that would be her redemption. Not just from penury and poverty living in Bethlehem as a widow, but from bitterness, how she was feeling towards God himself. And there's a hint of her change of heart in verse 16, as we read uh, later. Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Possibly the first positive thing she's done in the whole book, taking an active part in raising him who started off the line of David. We can all sometimes feel a bit like Naomi, rather bitter, grumpy at our situation, at the hands that life has dealt us, how we feel God himself has treated us. But we can remember the trustworthy hope of salvation, redemption in our Redeemer, in Christ, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Ruth. And so, like Naomi, take a small step forward from resentment to gratitude and joy and service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this book of Ruth, a book of redemption and salvation. Thank you for all that was done for Ruth by her redeemer, Boaz. As we reflect on this story, may we consider more of what Jesus, our redeemer, has done for us, and so be grateful and have joy in our hearts. Amen.